Let's talk about thankfulness this morning. And hopefully it's not something that we're just talking about. It's something that we're partnering with. Here's our opening thought, and I'll use this to kind of just lay the foundation for today. Overflowing with thankfulness is not a feeling, but it's an act of obedience as a follower of Christ. And I've put this out there every week because I really want us to partner with this. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and, and have a little confession moment with you. As I've been studying thankfulness and digging into it more, it really has become obvious to me how many times that I lack in an attitude of thankfulness, how many times that I don't deliberately choose to be thankful. And I, don't, I haven't done this on purpose, but by accident, I would say that I've done this, and maybe some of you have been in the same boat before, but by accident, I found that when things go really well, or when somebody blesses me, or when God pours out a blessing on me, I will respond with thankfulness in that moment, but actually it shows me that I'm really being more led by the circumstance rather than being led by a decision to be thankful. Because when things aren't going well, and when things fall apart, and it didn't happen the way that I anticipated, I don't always respond with thankfulness. Anybody else? Thankfulness is to be an attitude. It's to be a decision. It's to be a deliberate choice that we make. And last year, in the month of November, how many were here last year when we had a month of compassion? And we, we talked more about spognizomai and partnering with what compassion really is. And so this has been a, an incredible reminder to me to make uh, thankfulness a daily decision, and sometimes not a daily decision, but a moment-by-moment decision in my life. Now, when it comes to thankfulness, it's not an emotional response. It's not a feel-good moment. It really is a choice that we make. It's deliberate. And with that said, it's like so many other things in the New Testament and throughout God's Word. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus encourages disciples and He says, hey, when you pray, this is how I want you to do it. So in other words, He was already, He wasn't just inferring, He was saying, you are going to be men of prayer. And since you're going to be men of prayer, this is the way that you, that you need to pray. How about in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5? And I don't have these verses up here. They're just some extra bonuses. Galatians 4, 5, Paul writes the church in Galatia, and he says this. When it comes to our relationship with Christ Jesus and others, he says, make the most of every opportunity. So I'm supposed to live my life as a man of prayer, And when I pray, I'm to do it this way. I'm to make the most of every opportunity when it comes to to representing Jesus or sharing Jesus with others. How about Jude verse 20? You remember that one? That was a memory verse a long time ago. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. As a follower of Christ, I'm to build myself up in the faith. I'm not to anticipate you to build me up in the faith. I'm to be building myself up in the faith. So to repeat, I'm to be a man of prayer. I'm to be a man that makes the most of every opportunity. I'm to be a man that builds myself up in the faith and prays in the Holy Spirit. But you know what else I'm to be? I'm to be a man that overflows with thankfulness. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, we've read it every week, and I didn't put the verse up here this week, but it simply says, you're strengthened in your faith, and it goes through all these things, and it says, and you overflow with thankfulness. Now, how many know that you can only overflow with something that's in you? Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. 
I love the video that, that Ruthie Smith did for us, and I wanted us to see it again. I, I love the image of that pure water being poured and the water filling up. And because you have pure water, you're able to give that to somebody else, and you're continuing to receive more until it overflows. Now, you notice that when it started to overflow, it didn't change colors. What went in is what came out, okay? How many remember Petra? Garbage in, garbage out. You remember that one? Not of this world tour, okay? Now you got to go way back if you're going to call that one out, all right? But what goes in is what's going to come out. And I'm saying, Lord, I want thankfulness to be what I'm partnering with so that in every moment that continues to come out of my life. Let me ask you this. Uh, How many of you have ever had toddlers around your house? How many had toddlers around your house that weren't your toddlers so you were even more uncomfortable with it? Okay. Uh, when, when Beth and I had our girls and when Emma was starting to toddle, we had deliberate conversation about, are we going to let her carry her sippy cup over the carpet, right? Anybody remember having that kind of, these big decisions of life? Are we going to let her carry her sippy cup over the carpet, okay? I didn't have an issue with her carry. I don't have an issue necessarily with them carrying a cup anywhere in the house. doesn't bother me at all. Because to me, it isn't about whether they carry the cup or not. To me, it's about what you put in the cup. And if you're going to put juice in the cup, it needs to stay in the kitchen. If you're going to have milk in the cup, and when Emma was growing up, she always wanted pink milk, which her grandma got her addicted to that strawberry Nesquik stuff, which is 99.9% sugar and 0.1% red dye. You know what I'm talking about? And so Emma's like, I want pink milk, pink milk, pink milk. Okay, you can have pink milk, but pink milk stays in the kitchen. Pink milk doesn't go over the carpet because uh, toddlers are going to toddle. And because they're going to toddle, they're going to drop. They're going to, how many of you found out that your children, with your children, they were so gifted that there was actually no such thing as a spill-proof cup? Have you ever seen that? This cup is spill-proof. How many of you know that's a lie? It's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? There is no such thing as a, give it to your kids, and they will prove there is no such thing as a spill-proof cup, okay? Things are going to spill. It's going to drop. It is what it is. It's, it's foolish for us to let them carry cups around the house and then be upset with them when they spill. They're toddlers. It's going to happen. So the question is more, what do we allow them to put in the cup? What do we encourage them to put in the cup? That's a bigger deal. If, if somebody's toddling around and they spill water in the living room, I can just use it to help wipe off the end table. If they spill water on the floor, maybe I needed to dab that up anyway, and I'm not dabbing the way they're dabbing today, but you really got to know what a dab is to even get that. So some of you don't even, but just move on, all right? So I'm going to dab that, I, but I'm not going to put grape juice in the cup and let them toddle around with it. Because when they spill because they're a toddler, it's going to spill something that I don't want on the floor. Now, you know where I'm going with this. It doesn't matter what your age is in this room. Every one of us are going to face things that we haven't faced before. And we get a little shaky in those moments. We're like, Lord, I've never faced this. I'm not quite sure how to handle this. Have you ever made a decision that you really thought it was the right decision only an hour later to realize that it was really the wrong decision? And yet you're a follower of Christ and you love him, Uh uh-oh, I just spilled, (laughs) I just toddled, once again, my lack of balance, my lack of understanding demonstrated itself, but in that moment, when we toddle, when we spill, when we drop things, what's showing up? When you face what you face in life that you've never faced before, what's being demonstrated? I want thankfulness to be demonstrated. 
So here's a thankfulness refresh from the last three weeks. Number one, thankfulness opens the gate into God's presence. It's right out of God's word, Psalm 100, verse 4. If we are people of thankfulness, it'll enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Number two, thankfulness is a key to overcoming thank, uh, anxiousness. That's out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We talked about that last week. It's not the only key to overcoming the anxiousness, but it's one of the keys. Number three, thankfulness replaces harsh speaking. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 and this is what we spent most of our time talking about last week, so we'll just kind of read it to transition. It says, among you, reading the Christians, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. These are improper for God's set-apart people, His holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. That's interesting. If thanksgiving isn't a part of our life, you know what will be? Foolish talking. If thanksgiving isn't a part of our life, coarse joking will follow. If thanksgiving isn't a part of our life, obscenity will take place. It happens. Thanksgiving is what we're told to put on because that's the right place for God's people. The wrong place is the other things that he mentioned. So I'm not here to say, hey, stop the coarse, discor the coarse discourse. Stop being so obscene in your speech. Get away from all the foolish conversation. That's not where I'm going to go. I'm going to say, if we will partner with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, it replaces the foolish talk that in the natural will start coming out of our mouth. If we partner with thankfulness before the Lord, it helps us to overcome the obscene things that we might be saying. If we partner with a heart of thankfulness, it'll get rid of the coarse joking. Let's partner with the right thing. It'll take care of the wrong thing. Now, I mentioned last week, this really was convicting to me. I'm like, how much of my talk is foolishness? How much, how much of my joking is coarse? Do you realize that we live in a culture that it's hard to just make a joke for a joke? Typically, jokes are based on tearing somebody else down. I don't even want to partner with that anymore. Why would I want to partner with a statement that could really crush somebody else just for the sake of a smile or a laugh? I'm laughing for the wrong reason. I want to partner with a heart of thankfulness. And I'm telling you what, in our culture, this is challenging to do. It is so easy to partner with obscenity, okay? I took my daughter to uh, Sophie to, to get some new lipstick. Yes, we're there, we're there. Um, I was out, and uh, so I needed to go get some new lipstick, so Sophie was willing to go with me. Very sweet of her to be willing to do that. Um, I was stunned at the names of the lipsticks. How many ladies already know what I'm talking about, and you hope I don't repeat any of them from the platform? Okay, I was absolutely stunned. Uh, walk, in, walk into a, a local makeup store, walk into Ulta, read the names of the lipsticks, and you're like, wow, if I would have said that, I would have got sent to the principal's office in high school. And that, that's, you, we're taking sex on the beach. The name of one of the lipsticks is sex on the beach. Now, I'm a very practical guy. I just start thinking of sand and grit and seaweed and a crab coming up at the wrong time 
and the dangers that could take place. Any, any other practical people there? That's, but I'm, I'm looking at this going, it's, it's red lipstick. What's wrong with calling it here, red? <laughs> red. Why do we have to call it? It's red. It's the sensualization of our culture. It's, listen, we can, we can get mad at political figures for things that they are doing that are inappropriate, but then we go buy makeups that promote the very thing that we're angry about. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't care if it was my favorite color in the store. We're not buying that color. We're not buying, it's just, it's the sensualization of this thing. We have a culture that's not thankful. We have a church that's not thankful. We have Christian families that aren't thankful. We will partner with foolishness, coarse joking, and obscenity. God, forgive me. Forgive me for taking something as simple as lipstick and bringing sensualism into it. Something as, sim- as simple as lipstick and calling it something that's inappropriate. Forgive me for doing that, God. Okay? I want to partner with a spirit of thankfulness. Think about it. Thankfulness is the key to overcoming the temptation of corrupt speaking. I, you, you are sons and daughters of God and you're beautiful, but there's not one of you perfect in here. Has anybody ever said something they shouldn't? Yeah, four of us. Thank you. Four of us. Okay? We have. We've thought things that we didn't take captive. We've said things that we shouldn't. I'm going to partner with thankfulness. It's going to help me to overcome it in this area. Let's go to number four. It'll be the only point for today. We'll see how we do. Thankfulness is the right attitude when praying for others. I've, I'm, I'm learning that when, when I'm having a conflict or a challenge with somebody, that the more I, I pray for them, the more actually God changes my heart toward that person, especially if I'm praying with the right spirit or the right attitude. And one of the things that he challenges me to do when I pray for other people, are you ready for this? Is to express thanks for them. Look in Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Just a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, everyone's been created in the image of God. Is that true or false? It's true, everyone's created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, mankind. Both male and female, he created them. So men and women are created in the image of God. Can I get a hallelujah? Okay. Not only are we created in the image of God, but everyone has been formed by God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Have you ever been with a family when their new baby's born and you see that baby and you're like, it's a miracle. It just captures, you're like, that's just a miracle. It is a miracle. The way God set up this whole structure and design is absolutely fascinating. And one of the reasons it's a miracle is because when that child was in his mother's womb or her mother's womb, God was knitting and fashioning and forming. I know some of you have some things that you don't necessarily like about yourself. And yet God took the time to knit you and fashion you. And rather than going, well, thanks a lot, God. I mean, do you think our God doesn't like different shapes and sizes? Look around the globe. It's remarkable, isn't it? Our shapes, our heights, our sizes, our skin colors, everything that he's done, it just shows his love for us. I mean, he is crazy creative. And he knit us, and he formed us, and he fashioned us. So, 
for this reason, these two reasons alone, I need to be thankful for everybody on this planet because number one, every single person has been created in the image of God. And number two, he took the time to knit them and to fashion and form them. That's enough of a reason right there. Now, if that's not enough, let's look at some other verses. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. This is Paul's last letter before he ultimately was executed for his relationship with Christ and proclaiming that Jesus was king. And he writes Timothy and he says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did or as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This is an absolute beautiful passage. Paul's in Rome. He's in a dungeon. If you read through 2 Timothy, there's only 88 verses. He'll talk about how he's chained. He'll say, Timothy, I need you to bring my cloak because typically Roman prisoners were kept captive naked. He's like, I need you to bring me a cloak. So he's lonely. He's chained. He's naked. He even says in chapter 1, may God bless the household of Anisiphorus because um, he'd search for me until he could find me. In other words, the Roman... Uh, the Roman soldiers weren't allowing people to know where Paul was being kept. So Anisiphorus went from dungeon to dungeon, place to place throughout the capital city of Rome until he found where Paul was even located. This guy is in a brutal circumstance. And yet in the middle of all of that, what he was facing and he was going through, as he writes his dear friend Timothy, says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Man, I recall when we were together. I remember the tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. As a matter of fact, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this very reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. I mean, it's just so eloquent and beautiful how he writes to him. It's from his heart. He loves the guy. He's thankful for him. Let me ask an obvious one. How many of you are thankful for the people that you're thankful for? Could, yeah? How many of you are not thankful for the people that you're thankful for? All right, because we need to deal with that in a different way, some sort of deliverance or something. It, in my opinion, it's, it's a little easier here. Paul and Timothy had a great relationship. It's easier to be thankful for people that you have a great relationship with, somebody that he had laid his own hands on and imparted a spiritual gift to that he knew was doing an incredible job leading the church in Ephesus and that, that was a fighter in the faith. It was easier to be thankful for him. And there are people that it's easier for me to be thankful for, right? Beth is one of them. Where would I be if I didn't marry that lady? Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Appreciate the encouragement. It's true. I'd probably be traveling as an evangelist, living in a camper in the back of my mom and dad's yard, probably, okay? Dreaming for big things. Just maybe a, a silver camper next year rather than the white one that I have. I, I just, I'm so thankful for her. I'm thankful for her love for Christ. I'm thankful for her consistency. I'm thankful for the way I watch her parent our daughters. And she's a, she's a woman of God. I'm like, I get to do life with this person. 
it's easier to be thankful for her. There are other people in my life that aren't as easy. I have a list of their names. <laughs> Just say present when I call it a no. <laughs> but you guys get it. Aren't there people that just, in the natural, it's just easier? And maybe it's because of the journey that you've already had together, and you've come, you've come through some battles together. I shared with the early service, and I wasn't planning on doing it, and I wasn't planning on doing it for this one either, but I'll go ahead. We had our elder meeting on Wednesday night, and without even meaning to, we got recounting or refreshing the miracles that God's done for us as a church. And as we were doing that, I look up, Mark Hollander starts crying, Joe Bean's eyes are wet, Dan Rowden's eyes are wet, and then we found out he had a jalapeno, but nonetheless, <laughs> it just became this really special moment. And one of the things, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you how crazy, crazy we were when we moved into this facility. Our church had, I don't know, $130,000, $140,000 in a savings account. And when we built this place out, it cost about $150,000 or so which really was pretty remarkable. We did a lot of the work ourselves, but it, it is what it is. And we had land that cost us $5,000 a month. And when we moved into this place, we committed to $8,000 a month in rent. And did I mention that we had about 160 people? And we knew God was calling us here. So we get this place built out. We're having our board meeting the week before our first service to meet in this place. And here's where we were. We had about $12,000 left in our savings account. We'd spent all of it building this place out. We had about 1000 in our checking account as a church. Aren't you glad you didn't know this at the time? Isn't that nice? And we had about 25000 in debt on a line of credit that had helped us with this building. So in other words, if we took everything that we had and paid off all of our debt, we still would have had about 14000 that we owed. And our rent for this facility was due the first week that we moved in. And I'm looking at that going, oh, dear Jesus, oh, Lord. And I remember Joe Bean making a, making a joke in one of our board meetings, and he said this. He said, uh, this is either going to be a miracle of God or the quickest opening and closing of a church facility that anyone's ever seen. And I don't know how God did it, but God did it. And he kept providing, and every need continued to be met. And I remember that summer, then we, we went down a little bit in the summer because you guys take vacations, which is okay. I'm not bitter, but it happens. You got to get away every once in a while. Can I get an amen? Got to get away every once in a while. And at the time, we still hadn't paid anything on our line of credit. And I think we had about 3000 in our checking account. We were having a time of prayer and the Lord spoke to me. This was with our staff. He said, take half of what you have and use it to pay on the mortgage on the land and watch what I do. And I said, Lord, you do understand that if we make a $1,500 principal payment, that doesn't help us with our payment that's due in a week and a half. You understand that, right? And the Lord's like, do you trust me? I'm like, yes, but do you understand? Which meant I really didn't trust him, <laughs> right? I'm like, Lord, okay. And I remember Gloria, our treasurer, I said, Gloria, would you go ahead and transfer $1,500 from the church checking account to pay principal on our mortgage? And she said, What? I said to pay, and I said, don't tell Ron. <laughs> Ron's one of our board members, and I didn't want him to give birth to a small farm animal at that moment. I'm like, don't tell Ron. Let's just, I'm like, God's telling me to do this. We did it. You know what happened that week? 
this gentleman that's never attended Faith Chapel. He still has never attended Faith Chapel. He ended up in a conversation with one of our staff members, and he said to that staff member, you really like that church, don't you? And the guy said, well, yeah. He said, we love our church. He said, I, I want to do something for that church. What could I do for that church? And he said, well, we have a $5,000 mortgage payment due. And to be honest, it was only $4,999.85. I, I shouldn't round up. I, you know, I'm exaggerating quite a bit, right, 15 cents. He said, we have a $5,000 mortgage payment due gentleman had never been to our church. He wrote a check to Faith Chapel for $5,000 to pay our mortgage payment on our land. And you know what else? The next month he said, I want to do that again. And the next month he said, I want to do that again. And for six months, God used a gentleman that's never been in our facility to write $5,000 payments to pay our mortgage for us as a church. God will always honor the step of faith. He'll always, he'll always take care. I'm just telling you, he'll take care of you. And in moments like that, and I'll tell you, it's fun. We would, as a church, we get calls, can you help me with my electric bill? And I remember that summer thinking, can you help us with our electric bill? We had people, they were like, we need $300 by tomorrow. And I'm thinking, we need $3,000 by Thursday. And truly, truly. And God has just more than met the need. And you know what happened in that meeting on Wednesday night? We sat there and we talked about what God's brought us through. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges today. Don't think that everything's fine. God's always good. We still have challenges. But the love in that room, a lot of it was because of what we've been through together, what we fought through together. It's easier to be thankful with people that you were on the battlefield with How many military people in here, maybe you haven't seen one of those friends in 10, 20, 30 years, but you would still drop anything for your buddy you were on the battlefield with right now. You know what I'm talking about. It's easier to be thankful for them. You know what's not always easy? For people you're in conflict with. Look in Philemon verses 4 and 5. It says this. Paul says, I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. When Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, there was conflict. There was conflict between Paul and Philemon. Philemon had been treating his servant Onesimus in such a way that Onesimus fled from him. And Paul had welcomed Onesimus and he said, listen, as a brother in the Lord, you need to go back to Philemon. And so he wanted to pave the way for that to happen. So he tried to find some common ground. And he said, Philemon, he might not have agreed with the way that he was handling Onesimus. He said, here's what I do know about you, that you have love for God's people and you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm thanking God for you. I might not be thanking God for the way you handled this situation, but I am thanking God for you. When you are frustrated with someone, when there's a contention there, you can always find a reason to be thankful and you can celebrate it. Has anybody ever worn you out in an argument with their persistence? Have they ever done that? You know what you can be thankful for? Somebody with that kind of persistence. God, thank you for making someone that resilient. That was amazing. They crushed me, Lord. Wow. Thank you for that persistence. God, reconcile our relationship. Do what needs to be done in our lives. And may we join the same team because that persistence is going to be amazing in the kingdom. How about Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? Paul says, we always thank God. And notice how he uses the pronoun we. 
because Paul and Timothy actually wrote the letter to Colossae. So Paul and Timothy say, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why? We've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, and we've heard about your love for God's people. Seems to be a common theme with Paul. If you can't find anything else, at least you can celebrate faith and love. How many of you have ever said, God, I want my faith to grow? How many know that your faith doesn't grow when you're just sitting on the beach, sipping a frosty beverage with no trials or struggles? Your faith grows in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the season. You hear about somebody being used in great ways of faith, and you're like, God, I want that kind of faith. What if the Lord said, do you want to walk the walk they've walked to receive that kind of faith? Larry Zook has a more tender heart now than I've, I've ever felt on him, and I've known him for a long time. I'm not saying he had a hard heart before. <laughs> Larry's saying it. I wouldn't say it. I've been on missions trips with him. I've watched him serve others. So I know he doesn't have a hard heart. But through this experience and the way the Lord's speaking to him, something shifted. And you don't necessarily want to say, Lord, give me a tender heart like that because you never know what you might walk through to receive a tender heart like that. Okay? I'm, I'm celebrating faith. But faith grows in uncomfortable moments. Love grows in uncomfortable seasons. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't be surprised if I told you the word love here is agape, which is self-sacrificial love. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you. I'm sorry to use so much scripture today. I, I feel like it's church, and here we are just digging so much into the Bible, which is crazy. But I always thank my God for you, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. How many have read 1 Corinthians before? Do you remember some of the context of that church? There were some crazy things happening there. In 1 Corinthians 5, you find out that there's a member in their church that's actually in a sexually immoral relationship with his stepmother. That's disgusting. So that's going on in the church. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find out that there's division. They're fighting about who they like the most. Some say, I follow Apollos. Others say, I follow Cephas. Some say, I follow Paul. And then the super spiritual ones say, oh, we don't follow any of them. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But they did it with attitude. So you've got division. You've got division in the church. You've got immorality in the church. Pastor Brad, they had spiritual gifts. They did have spiritual gifts. They were using them so out of order that everybody thought they were insane. Paul said to this group of people, and by the way, we believe in tongue-talking. We believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a gift of speaking in heavenly languages. We believe in that. But he even said to them, you guys talk in tongues so much, everybody thinks you're nuts. You got to calm it down so that they can hear some words they understand. How about communion? Isn't communion always a beautiful time? Not with the Corinthians. The people that came first took it all. They line everybody up for communion. More bread, more bread. I got a big family, a vat of juice, and I'm out of here, leaving nothing for everybody left to be served. What was supposed to be a time of beauty and relationship and unity became another time of contention. What am I saying? This church was messed up. Spiritually gifted, sexual, immoral, faction, divided, selfish people. But whose were they? God's. And what does Paul say? I always thank my God for you. Would you say that? 
I would say, I always call down hemorrhoid curses upon you. <laughs> but that's not what Paul said. He said, I thank God for you. I also said, he says, I thank my God because of his grace given you. Their lives were definitely a testimony of grace. That you can be that messed up as a church and God's still showing up. That's amazing. Listen, if you only thank God for your church because it's perfect, you're never going to thank God. Because it's full of people. Pastor Brad, did you know there's sin in the church? Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah. I know there's sin in the church because I know that I occasionally sin. Anybody else occasionally sin? Okay, so we can't all fess up that we occasionally sin and then say that the church is sinless. We get off target. We make wrong decisions. Sometimes we have wrong motives. Sometimes we do the wrong thing. We're not together because we're sinless. We're together because he's sinless, because of his purity. Thought, if we only thank God for a perfect church, we'll never thank God. So Corinth wasn't perfect. Paul thanked God anyway. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. I've only got two more verses for you. Let's see if we can wrap them up. In my opinion, and it's just mine, and you don't have to have the same opinion, I think this is cool because Paul's been saying, and we've been reading the verses, I thank God for you, we thank God for you, we thank God for you, and you get here and he says, we ought always to thank God for you. And it makes me wonder if he was really thanking God for them. How many know that you don't always do what you oughta, but you oughta, right? So he's like, we ought to thank God for you. We ought to always thank God for you. The Thessalonians, if you've done any study about them, they were an interesting group of people. And they were kind of challenging to Paul. And I just wonder if we're seeing a little bit of that honesty in this moment where he's like, we ought to always thank God when we pray for you, brothers and sisters. I even wonder if brothers and sisters was his way of reminding himself that they were. We ought to always thank God for you when we pray for you, brothers and sisters. And rightly so. And he comes back to those same things again because your faith is growing more and more and because the love, the love that you have for one another is increasing. Greek word for love, once again, is agape. Listen, there are times that I'm not thankful, but I ought to be. And because I ought to be, I'm going to partner with that, and I'm going to pray with a spirit of thankfulness, a heart of thankfulness, and it's not hypocritical. It is not hypocritical to go against your feelings to do what God's called you to do. Okay? And we live in a society where we're so driven by emotion and by the way that we feel that when we're doing something that doesn't feel right, we think we're hypocritical about it. No. Let's say I'm incredibly frustrated with Marshall Groom. And I am. Let's just get it out in the open. If we can just bring it to light, Marshall, maybe we can work through this. All right. No issues with Marshall and I. Let's say I'm incredibly frustrated with Marshall Groom. And I ought to be thankful, but I'm not. I'll guarantee you, if I start saying, God, I thank you for Marshall. I thank you for what I've seen in his life since the day he gave his life to you. I thank you for everything that I saw that you used to lead him up to that moment where right back there he surrendered and asked Jesus to be the Lord of his life. I thank you for the way that you've taught him. I think if I start partnering with thankfulness, you know what will happen? Not only will God do an amazing work in Marshall's life, but even maybe even more importantly, He'll change my attitude toward Marshall. And you might actually find that you really genuinely feel the thankfulness that you're expressing and declaring from your heart. It's a beautiful thing. 
How many of you have ever had a season in your life where people that you really do love or care about, you really were not thankful for them? The enemy wants to rob that because he wants to rob those relationships, right? So we partner all the more with thankfulness. Let's go to the last point, and it is simply this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. I love it when I get little text messages from people that are watching online, So especially when they disagree with a point. And you're insane if you think that that wasn't biblical. All right, so I'm kidding. They, they weren't disagreeing. They were just saying hi and greeting the papal of faith chapel. So we've all been greeted. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Let's, let's wrap up with this. I urge then. Now, I won't preach this point if we can just read it slowly. That'll save us some time. Notice this progression. I urge then. That first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. In this one, he's not saying, make sure that your petitions, your prayers, and your intercession are with thanksgiving. That was in the ones we read earlier. This one, and I looked it up in the Greek, this, it's translated properly. This one is specifically adding thanksgiving as a fourth thing. How many of you have ever petitioned the Lord on behalf of someone or prayed to the Lord on behalf of someone or interceded to the Lord on behalf of someone? Now it's also saying, and make sure you're thankful to the Lord on behalf of someone. That there are times that you need to just have a moment of thanksgiving about someone. And I'll go there. I'm old enough now that I've been to way too many funerals. I think that we need to do a better job memorializing people while they're still alive. I think we do need to do a better job of expressing our thanks to one another, letting people know that we value them and we care about them before they go to heaven. Why not now? And one of the ways that I can do that is in prayer. I can do that in prayer. Listen, today I'm worshiping and I'm looking up at our worship team and I'm going, we have an anointed worship team and our worship pastor's not here. I remember a day when, when Mary was uncomfortable enough in front of the crowd that she had to have Pastor Josh stand next to her to help her lead. She doesn't need that. I'm watching Jordan develop and grow in her gifts and leading the songs from the keyboard, and I'm celebrating that. I'm worshiping, and I start hearing this beautiful intercession and praise behind me, and I went, the Jacobs are here. Mr. Jacobs here. They've been, on, they've been out west for way too long. And, I, I, and I, I hear his sound of his worship, and I'm like, oh, I know that sound. I'm like, oh, it is him. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but it's the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, I recognize that. I see that. I glance over. I see some of you standing and singing with your children, singing and worshiping Jesus next to you. Isn't that like one of the most beautiful gifts in the world? Isn't it just amazing? And I'm thinking, Lord, I thank you for these people. I love this moment. I watch Marshall walk in with his granddaughter. I just love this moment. I, this, what a powerful moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. May we do a better job of thanking God for one another. Thanking God for one another. Think about it. As you pray for your leaders with thankfulness, God blesses you to live your life in peacefulness, godliness, and holiness. I guess I should mention the last part of that verse before I pray for you. If you don't mind going back to it, Amber. 
As we do this, notice that it's for all people. It's not just for our brothers and sisters. And it's not just for our family and in in, in our, our natural family and our spiritual family. It says as we do these things, we're also to do it for kings and those in authority. And then he gives a reason why. That we may, may live peaceful or shalom and quiet, which is the absence of chaos. If you translate that word quiet, it doesn't mean that it's not loud in your house. How many of you have a house that is definitely not quiet, okay? But we can live a peaceful and absent of chaos life in all godliness and holiness. Let's say that you don't like our president-elect. I don't like our president-elect. Okay, all right. I urge you with petition, with prayer, with intercession, and with thanksgiving to pray for him. As you pray for him, there's a promise that God will flow through that, that your life will be even more peaceful and more quiet. And it'll be set apart with godliness and holiness. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't pray out of selfish motives, but I wouldn't mind walking with great shalom. How about you? Great peace, that things wouldn't be chaotic. That's another great reason to pray for a governmental leader, a president-elect, a new senator, local mayors and authorities, it's, it, teachers and police officers. I want to pray for these people. I mean, spiritual leaders, all of it comes together. I want to pray for that. And I want to partner with that. I might not agree with every decision that they make, but I'm going to partner with them anyway. So here's your challenge for this week. We must partner with an attitude of thankfulness for others at all times. At all times. 